Welcome to 20th Century Geek. with the devil in the pale moonlight that's right we're bringing our joker trilogy to a close first we talked about the 30th anniversary of the killing joke 30 years of that great alan moore brian boland book then i got in my comic book guys my comic book specialists matt and jordan to talk about all things baddie all things villain all those naughty nasty people in marvel and dc and every, any of the universes so now we're bringing it Back full circle, we talked about the wider villain community in comic book world. Now I've brought Julian Darius back, and he and I, we have a discussion about the clown prince of crime himself. Why is the Joker so popular? Why is the Joker the Joker? Who was the best Joker? All these questions are more answered as Julian and I get into it with about the Joker. So sit back, relax. Grab a drink of Smilex, and I'll see you on the other side. <laughs> so, we're here to talk about the Joker, and really I suppose it's a follow-up to our discussion around the killing joke. Um, and any, the Joker in any and all forms i suppose is what i really want to say so i suppose we just jump straight in and uh, i'll ask your opinion julian what what's your opinion of the joker as a character well i think that the joker is obviously batman's arch enemy but more than that i think he's iconic um when you think about great supervillains, the joker's probably number one um you know certainly um, probably more successful than Lex Luthor. And uh, I can't think of a, a sort of definitive supervillain who uh, is more iconic than the Joker. Yeah, he's got... He's, he's that perfect combination of character and look, isn't he? I mean, it's... You know, you could easily draw the the Joker and it would be identified. It's a bit harder to draw Lex Luthor and make him as iconic. Right, and, and, and I think that you know, in thinking about this in preparation for this podcast, I kept thinking about how successful the Joker's insanity is. Um, you know, how successful that edge is. And you can imagine Lex Luthor scheming. You can imagine, you know, Magneto doing, uh, you know, moving the White House or doing great things. But uh, it's that danger of the Joker of, you know, that combines the visual with that kind of unhinged feeling. Um, that I think is present in the best Joker stories, even even in like the '60s silly Joker stuff, um, you know he he's unhinged in a way that like the Riddler isn't. Mm. Well, I've always thought the Joker was like, you know, if you're in a situation walking home at night in the dark and you see that person and they're sort of talking to themselves under their breath, and there's always mm -hmm. that undercurrent of menace. If you just don't know what's going to happen next. They could just be a completely 
docile person, a bit drunk, whatever. Or they could be crazy and dangerous. And I think that's why the people are legit, even as a character, people are legit scared of the Joker. Yeah, I agree. I, I like that analogy. Uh, you know, that sense of danger and that sense of not knowing what he's going to do. Um, and, and I think there's, there's a kind of uh, tension in Joker stories between the Joker as a kind of schemer and the Joker as an anarchist. Um, you know, the Joker is somebody who hatches these elaborate plots like the laughing fish and, and all this sort of thing. But, but behind it is somebody who's unhinged and, and really could go either direction or, you know, uh, I can't think of another supervillain who's more likely to sort of throw away his entire scheme and go in another direction or, or just shoot somebody unexpectedly or something. Um, and I think that gets at that sense of menace that you're describing on the street. Well, it always feels like his schemes are almost um, secondary. Like, you know, they are what he's doing, but he's doing it to either make a point or just to annoy Batman. Just like, like you say, if it doesn't work, he's happy to almost cast it aside and try something different and just like you say, on a dime, he can change and be something different. Yeah, and, th and that gets it also. Um, I mean, I get a sense that the Joker's having a bit of fun uh, in, a, in a way that other characters aren't. And, and even in the darkest Joker stories, um, maybe, you know, Dark Knight Returns and Killing Joke, um, the Joker has a sense of fun. And, I mean, he's certainly one of the darkest Batman villains. Um, you know, right up there with Two-Face in terms of just how how dark he is. Although I, I think, you know, Cesar Romero did a fine job in the in the 66 show, and, and I can dig a silly Joker story. But, um, you know, he, he does seem to be having a sense of fun. I mean, even like Jack Nicholson, who, who was more of the sort of gangster Joker, um, you know, he, he's having fun. Maybe it's just the laugh and and you know, that gets into kind of, you know, the man who laughs and, and, and there's been a lot of study of like laughter theory and laugh, laughing is such a, an odd thing that human mammals do, right? Mm. Um, you know, other animals don't laugh and if they show their teeth to each other, it's a menacing thing. Um, and so often what we laugh at is are really horrible things, things that we laugh to let go of anxiety because a comedian is talking about sex and we're uncomfortable or, or something like that. Um, and so, so I, I wonder what the role is of, of that laughter. Well, it's, it's a tension breaker as well. That I think the Joker provides in, you know, they say like, um, horror and comedy are actually so very closely interwoven you know because of the timing being a thing and in horror you know they build attention they'll crank it up crank it up and then you either get a genuine scare or you get a false scare and it, at the end of both you laugh you know you set release of tension that that um you know you, you'll laugh at yourself or the situation and joker again combines that you know he'll crank up the tension he'll make you scared and then he'll pull the punchline, and it will. It could easily be anything from you know a feather duster to the face, or <laughs> you find out that he's done something horrific, you know. And it's that thing again: the false scare versus the real scare. And like you said, it's it could either be either or, but 
he's terrifying doing both. Oh, I agree completely. I, I, I'm thinking of, uh, you know, that that the scene in the the first Burton film where he, he gives Batman a hand and it falls off and it it, it serves no purpose, right? I mean, mm. for the plot, except to indicate another level of the, the Joker being crazy. And I quite like that idea of, you know, sort of it could be a silly gag or it could be, you know, he's captured Alfred and, and cut off his hand. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't know. And I think that's that's why, you know, uh, more recently I've, uh, I've been thinking about sort of uh, Grant Morrison's run on Batman and the fact that he tried to incorporate every... Uh, iteration of the Dark Knight, you know, everything from uh, the urban vigilante, the crazy Silver Age, to the sort of brooding 80s version into the 90s. Um, I think the same can be done for the Joker, though. Like you say, he could wake up every morning being something different, you know, and all of them are valid. They're all the same person. Yeah, I, I'm a huge fan of, of, of Grant's Batman run, and I'm glad you brought that up. I mean, that idea of the Joker as sort of the, the ultimate postmodern person who sees identity as fluid, um, you know, and, and you know, I'm, I, I kind of regret that I feel as if that idea that Grant teased out has kind of been dropped, and I enjoy uh, Snyder's Joker, but I, I feel as if you know, it's sort of positioned as, you know, the newest incarnation, but um, but I, I do kind of regret that more all incorporative uh, technique that you're describing. Yeah. I, 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 within Grant's run, I even think it's mentioned that, that, you know, they describe him as a hollow person, that there is no actual Joker, there is no actual person, so he has to fill that gap, and he can fill it in any way that he wants, you know, for whatever sort of suits that day, that purpose, or whatever. Yeah, and and I think that, you know, there's something, well, there's something very scary about that, but there's also something very liberating about that. Uh, you know, this idea of identity being fluid, and you know, we have this idea about ourselves that we are supposed to have stable identities, and maybe they change slightly over time. As we realize things or, or grow up, but um, you know, I think the the Joker gets at the idea that our identities are often in conflict. Um, you know, if we are, you know, um, you know, we are, uh, especially in America. I mean, we are. We come from different countries. We come from different mm -hmm. cultures. Those are things that clash with our identity as, a, as an American and overlap comfortably in some ways, but clash in others. Um, you know, I've known gay Catholics who said, I don't know how to resolve being gay with being Catholic, but I am both. Mm. And I can't deny either. And there's something about that, that fluidity of identity, um, that ability to entertain contradictions that, uh, that certainly your idea gets at. Yeah, I think... It's almost like he's fully, almost like he's fully accepted who he is, um, to the extent where he's like, well, whatever I am, I am, and I will. I'm just going to go with it and enjoy the flow and the moment, um, and see where it takes him, sort of thing. 
Well, that gets at that, that fun of the Joker. But you know, another thing that another thing that that gets at in, that I find kind of unresolved about the Joker is, um, you know, because I, I I deal with depression, um, I I'm a little sensitive to depictions of mental illness as like a fun thing, right? Mm. And you know, we were talking about the Killing Joke and how there is that that you were focusing on the the human moment. Um, between Batman and the Joker, a sort of buddies at work, sort of having a laugh over something that was terrible and hard, and you know, I, and I and I love that, but I also worry about like the way in which that insanity of the Joker becomes commodified for a story idea, and I wonder whether the Joker inside is really having a laugh or inside is really terrible and torn up. <laughs> Yeah, and that's that's a very good point. Like, do, do, does it trivialise, you know, like you say, his illness or whatever it is that drives him, um, to make him that character, whether it be a horror or, or like you say, a joke? Um, it's, I suppose it has to be a careful balance, really. Well, and and if you think about the the people who in real life who the Joker might be more like, I mean, you know. Um, you know, we we were talking before the show about like school shootings, and mm. um, you know, I'm watching the uh, American Crime Story with uh, uh, the assassination of Gianni Versace, and a lot of it focuses on Andrew Cunanan, who is killing people, but clearly torn up inside, clearly uh, self-hating, aware that he's strange, and and I think that usually people who go on you know, maybe this isn't true, but I mean, usually people who go on murderous rampages uh, aren't really, you know, in love with themselves. And, and yet the Joker is, uh, you know, having a laugh and, mm. and, and seems to be having fun in, in many of the stories. So, you just, yeah, I mean, it's almost that, you know, the, the cliche of um, laughing on the outside, crying on the inside. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, the Jack Nicholson's version actually jokes about it makes a joke about that but you're right there, there is there's, there's got to be some element of truth to that that is you know he, he is broken as a character so is he ever looking to try and is are his actions looking to fix that is what i think i'm yeah i i, I don't know i mean there are those moments like like your reading of the killing joke i mean there are some moments of sobriety between the Joker and Batman, like in, um, um, you know, um, Dark Knight Returns. But, yeah, I mean, I, I sort of feel like a lot of Joker stories, I mean, we're certainly we're, we're kind of privileging the, the dark stuff that, mm. that probably we both like, like more. But um, I, I sort of feel like, you know, the Joker's response to tragedy you know, Batman's response to tragedy is, okay, I'm going to build from this. I'm going to make myself a better person. I'm going to fix this crime that destroyed me and broke my heart. It seems to me that, you know, of course the Joker's origin varies depending on what you're reading, but um, it seems to me that, you know, the Joker embodies a kind of response to tragedy that says, uh, okay, so th this is a... Uh, this is a cynical, terrible world. The world is a charnel house in which nobody gets out alive. Um, 
I'm going to have fun with it. <laughs> um, you know, why should I care if I if I kill another person? Why should I sit around and think about their families and, and all of this? We're all going to die anyway. Who cares? Uh, and I'm going to have a sort of bit of fun. Um, and I think that that's terrible and that's horrifying, but like a lot of monsters in literature, there's a part of us that identifies with them. Even if we want to read that story and then put them back in the box, you know, I mean, it's the Jekyll and Hyde thing of this gets at something in us uh, that maybe we don't want to fully explore, but we want to kind of go there in this kind of protected safety zone of being able to say, well, of course, I'd never do that, but it's hard not to, you know, certainly with Nicholson or Ledger, um, it's hard not to enjoy those performances and, and quite like the Joker in a way. Yeah, well, it, on film so far, <laughs> he's almost been portrayed like in a rock star kind of way, hasn't he? He's always been bad, but like you say, Nick Nicholson, Ledger, even uh, Jared Leto's performance is very mm -hmm. much that he's a rock star character and you can't help but think, yeah, that performance is pretty cool and I want to see more of that and that sort of thing. But you're right, you wouldn't want to spend any time with the actual character. <laughs> <laughs> right, you don't want to be in a room with the Joker. Uh, the novelty would wear off in two seconds. That, that's it. <laughs> Whether it wore off for me or him sooner, that's, and that would be the worry, I think. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, but it would, not be, it would not be an agreeable encounter. Um, and, and yet, uh, with this sort of protective veil of fiction, we're able to... Uh, sort of delight in this character um, and and delight in what he's doing in a way that, uh, you know, what he's doing is horrible. And, you know, he, he can't, again, I mean, I think he can't be happy, right? And that's, well, I think the weird thing is, I say, when you, they've recently done, uh, uh, Tom King recently did a story in which, it was it was called the, uh, the, the War of Jokes and Riddles, and it was about Joker, you know, couldn't find something to laugh about anymore. Um, and in that sort of story, he he's just not as good. He, he, he took out a key element of who the character is, and all of a sudden, he just felt more generic. And it, so you say he, him admitting almost to that brokenness was. You know, did take something away from the character so it's almost like in a meta way he knows he's got to have that joker element really to, to be who he is yeah I agree with that I, I haven't read that story I've, I'm you know always behind on my comics but uh, but, I, but I, I quite like that I mean I, I can't imagine you know the worst joker stories are the joker stories where you think oh I could substitute another character in there Mm. Um, and, you know, that's not true of, you know, I mean, I guess that's true of most characters, but certainly there are a lot of Penguin stories in which you could, you know, replace another mobster. Um, you know, I mean, Two-Face flips a coin, and that's kind of, you know, his, his Dick Tracy thing. Um, and, and, you know, you could substitute somebody else in for some of them. Um, Joker stories feel unique. They don't feel like... And, and part of it is that laughter. Part of it is that, that joie de vivre that he seems to have. Um, 
and and I think you know you you mentioned at the beginning like the visuals, right? I mean, the dress is so important. Mm. Um, you know, and, and and I was thinking about that and thinking about Arkham Asylum and how much I like these sort of, um, you know, transvestite or, or transgender uh, version of the Joker. Um, you know, that sort of plays with that idea of, you know, like. I love purple. Uh, I'm going to, you know, be flamboyant and and wear typically like a suit or something, but you know, be crazy and out there. there there's an element of presentation, even self-conscious presentation, that I guess is there with other villains too. I mean, you don't wear, um, you know, a spandex green suit covered with question marks <laughs> without, you know, being aware that you're you're out as flamboyant or something, but. Uh, but the Joker seems to be aware that he's doing it. I mean, the Riddler isn't aware that he looks ridiculous, usually. Mm. Uh, the Joker knows it and is having fun with it. There's almost things that, since, since Arkham Asylum, they've, as you say, they've sort of dabbled with it, but no one's ever taken it to that real level. I think there's a worry that if they were to take it to almost that drag queen level of you know flamboyance and craziness that oh he would you know he couldn't be taken seriously or he'd look too silly mm-hmm. but this being the joker as you say like why wouldn't he do that you know there, there, there probably would be times when he would go all out and he would go full rupaul and that you know <laughs> and he would but he would still be amazing and and horrific and terrifying and I'd love to see someone take it to that full um, you know to, to, up to 11 uh, yeah, the, full, the full RuPaul um, I yeah, yeah I, I feel the same way and I, I often think of that how that element has been I mean if it was controversial at DC editorial when, when it was in Arkham Asylum and I, and I think that I think that there's an awareness of presentation that um, you know, I remember it wasn't all that much after Arkham Asylum where you know, the movie Basic Instinct came out, and there was a lot of controversy over, uh, like, on the one hand, it was good that there was a bisexual character as one of the main characters, but on the other hand, she was a murderer. And, and I think that while I would delight at, you know, the full RuPaul Joker, um, you know, is that a homophobic presentation of like, you know, I mean, it just, it's so hard to write that and not have it seem to imply like, um, you know, being gay or flamboyant is connected to homicidal activities, which obviously isn't true and, and but, but is a kind of stereotype. Yeah. So, I'll, I'll I mean, refer so to those you know, kinds of things as the Wortham, uh, the Wortham interpretation. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, and that would be the real fine line that, like you say, a good writer and artist could probably pull it off. But there would always be those people that would read it in that way and and try and take that, like you say, you know, up in an article or in the mainstream, which is a shame, really, because um, it could just be a thing like you just decided, yeah, today I'm going to wear and this is my scheme or whatever. But it'd be interesting to see. Yeah, I, I would definitely, I, I definitely would like it, and I, and I, I want, you know, more in that direction, and I, I think it's there. It's there, you know, 
um, you know, even in uh, Nicholson, right? I mean, Nicholson is so obviously not, a, you know, a, a queer actor, but, you know, his, you know, the sort of I love purple uh, element of it, you know, the kind of, you know, even the Prince music comes in um, and, and there's an element of that. Um, and I think it could be tied to that sense of self-presentation, that sense of uh, fun that the Joker has. Um, but, you know, there was a time in which the idea that uh, the Joker would kiss Batman was just unbelievably controversial. And, you know, obviously, like the homoerotic elements of uh, Dark Knight Returns between the Joker and Batman are kind of uh, locked in this spiral that, you know, has a homosocial, if not uh, homoerotic uh, context to it, um, you know, was really controversial. And that's that relationship that's, that gets played round and round again and again is really interesting because, again, in the Scott Snyder run, in both uh, Death of the Family and, and Endgame, that relationship, almost like, almost symbiotic, you know, they're, they're almost dependent on each other. Um, is really played out and I did love that but Death of the Family in particular the idea that mm -hmm. the Joker is you know he's telling to Batman my job as your villain is to make you better and mm -hmm. all these people you've got hanging around are just you know just distractions from you being the best you can be. I'm the one that loves you and wants to make you better. I'm the perfect partner. Um, I thought that was really interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I quite love that. And, and I'm, I'm a big fan of, of Death of the Family, uh, you know, less so Endgame. Um, but, uh, you know, boy, uh, that element certainly comes through. And, and you know, it, I mean, it gets at what is the version of not just the Joker, but of Batman that we like. I mean, do we want Batman to have a franchise, you know, Batman Inc.? Uh, do we want Batman to have, you know, Nightwing and Batman and, oh. or, and Robin and uh, Catwoman and, and all of this sort of hangers-on? Or is, is Batman this lone, dark, obsessed individual? And I kind of feel like the Joker works best in those solo Batman stories. Um, you know, there's something about, like, you know, having Robin, I mean, deal with a completely homicidal maniac that just accentuates how strange it is that Batman would, would bring a 13-year-old boy into his adventures, you know? Yeah. I don't mean, I'm almost curious as to why they haven't had a story that's gone the other way, and they're sort of, if you've got the Bat family, why hasn't the Joker ever created like the Joker family? Or he might have done. I may not may not know the story. Um, well, I don't know, but I mean, I guess Harley Quinn kind of qualifies, yeah. right? I mean, she's you know the the, the Joker's equivalent, um, and and obviously it's become a, a, a very popular character uh, in her own right. Yeah, a great option. I think. You say that's the thing. She, he created well, the character was created for him, and she's spun off much, I suppose, like Nightwing and uh, some of the others. But, but to take this further, then, so what's your thoughts on how has Joker, over the time, influenced other pop culture characters? Do you think? Well, I think that uh, 
you know, I, I don't know off the top of my head. I mean, I just think that because the Joker seems so, uh, so much like the quintessential arch villain, um, I mean, I think he, he has that sense of danger. He has that sense of flamboyance. And I think that it's hard, if somebody is coming up with a sort of arch enemy, um, you know that any, you know, arch enemy is going to be compared to the Joker, right? Mm. Um, you know, and so the Joker kind of forces uh, other people to, to up their game um, in terms of creating a, a kind of iconic uh, character. I think also, you know, I mean, the Joker's, the Joker was always violent. Um, you know, I mean, going back to the original stories, I mean, he killed lots of people. Obviously, a lot of uh, Batman's early foes were more murderous than even Batman was. Mm. But, um, but, you know, I mean, the Joker's violence, you know, the, I mean, maybe one of the negative consequences of that is, you know, the expectation that a villain has to have a big death toll. Um, whereas I think that might be a misunderstanding, you know, maybe parallel to the kind of classic, you know, sort of 90s misinterpretation of revisionism is just, you know, super dark superhero stories. Um, you know, that what, what strikes me about Joker stories isn't necessarily that they're so terrible and ghastly, but it's that psychological warfare with that protagonist. But I think that's a good thing about it. That's the thing about the Joker, because he's not, like you say, super strong and not uh, super powered even, really. He is psychological. You know, he, he's not um, he's not super, is he? he? He's a thriller, he's a horror, and that's I think that's why I, one of the reasons I'm attracted to him as a character, as a villain. So what do you think his influence has been? I think about characters I've seen, and obviously because obviously he was influenced as a design from different pieces. But I think in the nineties you get characters like The Mask. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is is that idea of the Joker taken to eleven? You know that sort of you get the mild mannered um, character Stanley Ipkiss, more the mm-hmm. comic than the film, to be fair. But you take you know, and then he he puts on the mask. Um, to hide his identity and he can become this terrorising cartoon villain vigilante anti-hero I'm not sure really it's the, the, I think the, uh, the Joker sort of almost acts as the barometer for what's acceptable to do in comics as a villain mm-hmm. um, so if, uh, just what I thought was if you, you know, he, killed, he killed Robin uh, and then you get things like Dark Knight Returns and The Killing Joke. And he acts as that barometer of the ability to for what the villain can do. So in the 90s, it's almost more acceptable for villains to start killing and doing greater acts of violence. Because uh, they sort of act in his shadow. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that's very well put. Um, I mean, the mask is inarguable in that respect. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think of, um, you know, the, the haunting uh, haunting death of Jason Todd and how, you know, Batman hears those blows, um, you know, and how, uh, how resonant that is. Um, and, and I think you're right. I mean, you know, the Joker, you know, sets the stage for how far can we push these things. 
uh, and I think that's that's certainly true in cinema. Um, you know, um, obviously, like you know, Marvel has a problem with its villains, and, and traditionally, like the villains uh, are not as interesting as the superheroes and their kind of plot devices in these stories. Um, and yet, uh, less so in Suicide Squad, but certainly in the, the first Burton film and in Dark Knight, the Joker steals the show mm. in both of them. I mean, he's far more, you know, maybe maybe a little less in Dark Knight, but I mean, he's far more interesting uh, than the main character. And when he's on screen, you can't look away. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that's the thing. When casting the Joker, um, he's got to have a charisma. You know, he is the baddie, and he is horrific and terrifying, but he's almost hypnotic. You know, you you should not be able to take your eyes off him when he's on the screen. Yeah, and I, I also like the way in which in the, the 89 movie, um, you know, when he throws that parade, there's a there's a way in which he is kind of an embodiment of the city gone wrong. Yeah. Um, you know, sort of we can't count on these mayors. I'm gonna give you a real parade and throw fake money at you. And I think I think that's true in in Dark Knight as well. That um, you know he's kind of you know the embodiment of a city gone completely corrupt and crazy. And instead, you know, you can go the gangster route and try to accumulate money, but you can also just say, this is all mad. This whole world is mad. Uh, the city's gone crazy, and I am the embodiment of its madness. Mm. Yeah, it is almost like the worst-case scenario of like wish fulfillment, that venting of frustration and craziness, you know, you know uh, personified. Um and possibly that's where they went wrong with Jared Leto, really, in his Joker, that he, he has no focus. He, you know, Yes, he comes across as slightly menacing, but he doesn't have a purpose like the others did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's, he, he doesn't seem wedded into a context outside of um, just uh, that kind of rock star uh, persona, mm-hmm. which, I guess, which I guess fits that movie, but that movie... You know, that movie isn't wedded to, you know, Gotham in the same way. Um, and, you know, I think, like, we were, we were talking last time about, like, Rambo, and, um, you know, it occurs to me that some of these violent Joker stories are also uh, a kind of response to crime, a kind of response to, you know, that sense of, like, gangs out of control, and, you know, um, you know we still talk about this. Um, and, you know, if you picture kind of gangs out of control and how violent and, and mad they are, and you see them as fundamentally irrational players, the Joker kind of embodies that sort of uh, urban, that sense of urban decay, mm. whether that's really just perception or, or reality. So really, so the Joker then can really represent the the era you know in which he's being used so i suppose the sort of the jack nicholson joker was that 80s yuppie-ish gangster almost <laughs> um yeah almost sort of like yeah. the american psycho 
ironically, uh, turned into the Joker. Yeah, I dig that. I dig that a lot. Um, and that also gets at the kind of um, alter ego for Bruce Wayne, right? Um, you know, Bruce Wayne as, you know, the rich kid, um, you know, and uh, American Psycho was a big influence on the, the Nolan film, mm. uh, you know, because Christian Bale had, had played that. Um, so, yeah, I see that. I mean, I'm curious about what you think of, you know, sort of like 60s Joker, the, you know, the sort of uh, funny Joker, both in the comics and in the TV show. It's interesting. I I watched uh, recently, I've been watching some of the 66 Batman and especially the Joker episodes. Um, and I do find him, of all the villains, again, he's almost like the more focused you know, yes, they've all got a gimmick, but with the Joker, it's sort of, it's about the gag. Uh, mm-hmm. And Cesar Romero's performances are, are, are wonderful. Um, oh, yeah. You know, it's, he's silly and daft, and it's, it's ultra brightly coloured, but he is undoubtedly the Joker. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know, what about you? what's your opinion of that sort of era of Joker then? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I certainly I certainly prefer the sort of, you know, Heath Ledger Joker. I mean, I, I certainly grew up on, uh, you know, the, the 80s incarnation of the Joker. But, um, you know, I would watch um, I would watch the, the Batman 66 show a lot. And, and I felt very much the same way. I mean, I felt like uh, Cesar Romero kind of steals the show. And, and he has a sense of confidence in his delivery of the joke or the gag that, um, you know, Gorshin is the river, you know, doesn't seem to have quite as much. I mean, you get the sense that the Joker is really having fun. Mm. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that even in some of the comics of the period, I mean, I chafe a little at how he doesn't have a sense, that sense of menace that I associate with the Joker and that, and that you associate with the Joker. But... But I, he still, you know, those are still more entertaining stories to me than, uh, you know, a river story or, uh, you know, somebody a bit more sillier. Yeah, and I think, you know, uh, the thing that seems to bridge the gap for me is uh, Batman the Animated Series and uh, mm-hmm. you know, Mark Hamill's Joker can be both. And even in Absolutely. a single episode, you know, um, some of the great ones I think of are they do the you know the Joker fish, but uh, there's Christmas with the Joker, um, which starts with him ex- escaping prison or Arkham Asylum, whatever it is, on a rocket-powered Christmas tree. <laughs> but then he kidnaps Commissioner Gordon and the and. <laughs> you know, the Gordon family to do a Christmas special live on TV, which is going to end with them all being executed. Yeah, and that's so that it's sort of it's a mishmash of that '66 silliness, mm-hmm. but undercut with with that sort of '80s and early '90s violence and menace. I mean, granted that the violence was very rarely depicted in the show, but. It is that mishmash, and it, 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 again, it goes to show the versatility of how he can be both. 
Yeah, and I, and I think you know, I was I was thinking of the animated series too, and I was and I and I think you're completely right about sort of placing it tonally, and it, that gets at exactly what you're saying of like, you know, the Joker's got a a, a squirting flower, and he can squirt your face, and it might be acid or it might just be water because he felt like it that day, you know, um, you know, you have no idea. I mean, and I was thinking also of. Um, you know, Tim Sale and Jeff Loeb's uh, Joker from, like, Long Halloween. And, you know, he, that seems to be maybe a little a little darker than the animated series. Mm. But, you know, there is that same sense of fun. Like, I, I mean, I think the Joker's riding a rocket at, at one point in that uh, as well. And, you know, Tim Sale depicts him as, you know, almost inhuman. You know, he's got exaggerated features. And, um, you know, he has... There's a little bit of that kind of combination of just outlandish silliness from the 66 show and a sense that, yeah, at the same time, that's occurring in a universe in which death can happen. Um, and, uh, you know, he's not a nice guy. No, and that's it. I think that's the the big thing of all this is the fact that he isn't a, go a good guy. No, he's not um, just a clown. You know, he... he, he when played his best, he is, you know, funny, but you're terrified of him. Um, <laughs> I, I'm almost, well, the more we've talked about it, it's just jumped into my head. I don't know if you've seen the film Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Um, oh, yeah, sure. And there's a line in that where um, Eddie Valiant and Roger Rabbit are handcuffed together. And then eventually uh, uh, Roger slips his hand out of the handcuff to do something. And he asks him and says so you could have done that the whole time and he says no only when it's funny yes and i feel that's the sort of ethos of the joker it's like you know yeah i can do this whenever i want but it's only good <laughs> when it's funny yeah I, I i love that you went to that moment and uh yeah and and, and as soon as you said broad rabbit i i thought of that same kind of combination of silly antics and violence that is so present in that movie um, that's kind of, you know, half a sort of love letter to Looney Tunes and half, uh, you know, sort of film noir, mm. uh, you know, where people are being boiled in acid and it, it, it's really quite dark. Um, but there is that kind of zany, especially with the villains in there, there's that kind of zany um, delight in... Uh, a, a goofy sort of murderous evil. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I do get that sense too with the Joker that, uh, you know, he, he might shoot you, but um, he's going to wait until it's a good punchline. You know? Yeah. 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 Someone's got to be there to see the joke. So you're probably all right if it's just the two of you. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's so much fun just, you know, having a character who has you know, uh, murderous flair. Um, you know, I, you know, one of the things I think about most in that I come back to uh, about the, the Nicholson performance is, you know, when he's talking to Kim Basinger in the museum and, and to Vicky Vale, and he says, you know, the, he's, you like my work, you know, I'm the world's first fully functioning homicidal <laughs> artist. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and I think, you know, that idea is while terrible in real life, uh, you know, gets at the core of the Joker character, you know, gets at uh, something that I love and, and also 
that sense that we are entertained by violence and, and terror when it's removed from our own actual experience. Yeah, I like that saying, because he's, like you say, because he's removed, we can laugh at it. And I do think Nicholson in particular provides that sort of, he's got that creative flair, because they say he does wear the dandy suit and the hat, and he sort of, uh, you know, he names himself, um, which I think is fantastic. Mm -hmm. uh, that I don't think some of the other versions do have. Like I say, I, I love Heath Ledger's anarchic, um, like I say, almost punk rock Joker. Um, yeah. But like I say, he's he's not quite as dandyish, and I, that always, you know, I know he's very very popular and it's a great performance. But because he's a bit dirtier and stuff, I just mm -hmm. it was never quite fully Joker for me. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I mean, I do, I do have that sense too. That you know, I mean, I, I love that performance and I love that film, but um, yeah, it seems like you know, in the Venn diagram, you know, it overlaps the Joker a lot, but it doesn't seem the definitive Joker. Um, it does lack that kind of that dandy quality, that uh, uh, that style, the artist. Mm. Um, you know, and I, I, I was thinking of how like. You know, a show like Dexter is really popular, and we we watch serial killer movies, and and you know, or Hannibal, and things like this. And one of the things that we like is that you know these serial killers are are murdering people in these unbelievably flamboyant ways, right? I mean, they're making sculptures out of bodies, and 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 it's terrible. And I mean, if that's real life, it's horrifying, but. That sense of art, that sense of flair, uh, that sense of joy in what he's doing, um, even though what he's doing is killing people and you know poisoning all the fish or uh, you know um, kidnapping Alfred or, or whatever it is, um, and and that combination I think is just intoxicating from a fictional standpoint. Mm. The question I have is though, does he only work against Batman? Um, and he will always be a Batman villain, but if you were to put him in a different uh, comic series, like The Flash, Green Arrow, um, I don't know, Superman, d does he work against those other superheroes? Yeah, I mean, that's a really interesting question. Um, I, I quite like, you know, during the post-crisis, um, you know, like Crisis on Infinite Earths, sort of John Byrne era of uh, Superman, the Joker would show up like once a year and Byrne would do a like Joker issue, you know, um, once a year. And, and, you know, I quite liked those issues. I mean, they worked OK, but but Joker was always, you know, a fish out of water in Metropolis. I mean, Metropolis is clean. You know, the Joker, it's not his milieu. Um, you know, there's something about that that dapper uh, Joker in the grubby landscape. Um that really works and seeing him in that bright metropolis um you know you can do it for a story but i i don't know that it would work with him as a major villain um yeah i mean i i guess i guess it depends on on your version of the joker and your version of those characters like i mean i would say like with flash i mean my flash has always been a little bit lighter than other characters i mean he had goofier villains and um, 
and and those worked for me. I mean, I you know, you had writers who who did that really well, and um, but of course, like once like Jeff Johns took over Flash, you have like Iron Heights, which is kind of like a version of Arkham Asylum, and you know, all the villains became a lot darker and a lot more murderous, mm. um, and. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I could see the Joker in that context, um, but it's not my traditional context for The Flash. I mean, I, I, I think, you know, if the Joker arrives in your average, you know, the Joker shows up in, like, your average Marvel movie, like, you know, there's Tony Stark playing around, and all of a sudden there's a guy who walks in and just murders people. Yeah. Uh, and you, you just think, oh, my God, what am I watching? <laughs> this, is, this is not right. This is not the same movie. Um, so what do, what do you think? Do you think he's, he's that versatile, or, or he depends on Batman? Uh, I, I don't know, and that's the thing, because uh, weirdly you sort of focused on the Flash, and for me, he's the character I would like to see go up against the Joker, um, because of that light-heartedness of the character and stuff. And I know... Um, you know, they do take him down some tough routes and stuff, but Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't know the. I don't know enough about the Flash to say that he's ever faced anybody that's like you say that that is Joker level. Um, could do the Joker level damage, and I'll just be interested to see if. You know, with, without calling in Batman, like you know, just because it could just be that one day the Joker wakes up and thinks, yeah, for a difference, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna go and try and gas Central City or, whatever. I'd, I just think it would be interesting to try and take that different tone. Yeah, I, I, I'd like to see more of that, too. Um, you know, I, I, I was thinking of, of this, you know, how a character like The Flash, and, and, and I do remember a few stories where, like, the Joker showed up in Flash or something, but I don't really remember them very well. Um, but, uh, you know, I was thinking how, you know, that more lighthearted character might be broken by a kind of encounter. Mm-hmm with the Joker. Um, and that got me thinking about, um, you know, both like, like Robinson's golden age and, and Watchmen has some of this, like, you know, when Rorschach encounters that child killer mm. and has his psychological break from like just a guy who's dressed up, who's dressing up and likes fighting crime, but you know, it's Batman 66. I mean, it's, you know, this is something fun. Um, and becomes, Rorschach, as we think of him, um, it's in response to that horror. Yeah. And it seems to me, you know, like my version of the Joker is somebody who just encountering him is an embodiment of that horror, is an embodiment of, you know, the horror of the universe, um, the, that way in which, um, you know, life is absurd and violent and unfathomable. And... I was thinking that an encounter with the Joker would be like, uh, you know, a, a running experience with the child killer for Rorschach. Um, now, obviously, you wouldn't want like Barry Allen to become a, you know, become <laughs> Batman, right? But, um, but I mean, I, I, you know, I think the best Joker stories are stories in which, for me anyway, just encountering him leaves you scarred. Mm. Um, you're not going to walk away. I mean, even, you know, um, being a policeman, encountering the Joker is a whole other thing. Um, it's something you tell your kids about. 
um, you know, it, it is that kind of psychological encounter that, that changes a person. It's uh, true. You, you just say that, but it's a story that you tell kids. I mean, really, I think, like, more than any of the other villains, Joker is like the bogeyman. Like, he's the one yeah. that, that you would, you'd be like, you know, well, if you're not good, the Joker will come and get you. You know, he's... He would be... I could imagine him being used as a sort of a threat or a punishment. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, and, and you were talking, uh, you know, last episode about the about the, the Flash and how, like, you wonder who's still living in this city after three yeah. or four seasons, you know? Um well, you know, I mean, who's still living in Gotham City? But if you are, you know, go to bed early or the Joker will get you. Mm. So, I mean, um, you're so used to dealing with crime and violence on a daily level, but it's the Joker that you're really scared of. Um, and, and there have been, like, I, I'm a fan of, um, you know, the crossover Underworld Unleashed, uh, where, uh, you know, you've got all these assembled supervillains, and a lot of them are sort of like goofy, you know, it's like moth. The, mm. the moth and stuff like that and and the joker walks in and you can hear a pin drop you know just like he's the one everyone else is terrified of yeah. <laughs> he's the person you hope doesn't turn up to the party yes yeah you can imagine like the supervillain party uh you know everybody's having a good time and drinking and you know reminiscing about you know that time, you know, you, you had Robin tied up and Batman beat you. And, you know, it's it's all well and good. And, you know, you're robbing banks and the Joker shows up and you know, you're terrified. You know, I mean, uh, it, the atmosphere completely changes. Um, and, and again, you don't know if the Joker's going to have a drink and, and, and tell a wonderful story or going to murder you. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I, I always wonder, like, it, there are, there must be people, I mean, not to that level, obviously, but there must be people that have that sort of, um, like they say, you know, that psychopaths make great CEOs and they become very powerful. There must be that when they come into the room of, they're either going to be incredibly charismatic and welcoming and, you know, generous, or they're going to try and break you just for their own amusement because they can. So I can see that sort of, again, that real world tension of just being like, you know, what's he bringing to the, what party favours is he bringing this time? <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, it reminds me of some of the stories about Trump of, of, of sort of, you know, people have encountered him and said, uh, you know, I think like uh, Chris Overman, who, you know, is, is super liberal, used to live in a, a Trump building and said, he's the most charming person I've ever met. Mm. He'll meet me in the hall and say, you know, how's the building treating you? And, you know, seems so interested in the experience that I'm having. And then there are these other reports of him turning on a dime and just telling somebody they're stupid and it's, uh, it's all their fault. And... Um, you know, and, and being suddenly very scared of, did I not praise this person the right way in this meeting? Um, you know, what caused the shift? Yeah. And, uh, that dynamic, I mean, you know, you mentioned Harley Quinn earlier on. Um, you know, in that relationship, when it's shown, again, at its best, 
is the fact that he he broke her and you know psychologically captured her and enticed her to to him and then he's almost bored of her you know so well I've done that now and, and you know you you're here as my lackey but I'm almost um they do it in, in mad love Mm-hmm. It's that thing of sort of like, like you say, on a dime. It's just like, I'm bored of you now. You know, yeah. there's got to be something else. Um, yeah, I mean, that's great. I mean, I'd like to see that dynamic explored more. I mean, you know, that sense of turning on a dime that we were talking about about like, you know, he could, uh, you know, give you a feather duster or kill you uh, in relationship. Um, and isn't that one of our fears that, you know, anybody in our life could just say at any point, um, yeah, I'm done with you. Um, and, and not require an explanation. I mean, um, we'd like to think that that wouldn't happen. You know, somebody, somebody loved us and we have friends and all of this, but, um, yeah, I'd like to see that, that dynamic explored more. Because, well, that, I mean, not you say about relation, that happens, doesn't it? Like, you know, you see relationships that happen where one party, you know, showers the other party with love and affection, uh, and they make them feel wanted and secure and happy, but systematically they're sort of driving away that other party's friends. Yeah. And then when they are isolated, you know, they're actually trapped, and they're either treated horrendously or they are just dropped. Um, you know, because the fun's now over. Some sort of like narcissist or sociopath that just takes some sort of pleasure from doing that. I don't yeah, think their relationship has been explored sufficiently, really, in psychological terms. I agree with that. And, and I mean, what you're saying, my mind is reeling the horror because I'm thinking of the descriptions of uh, abusive relationships that I've read in which by the time somebody realizes that they're really abusive, the friends have been driven off, um, the dependencies have been created, um, you know, the, the world views of, you know, who, um, the, you know, both of them are have been constructed to a point that you can't leave. Um, it, it's not that simple. Um, so I'm kind of I'm kind of reeling in horror at you know like again this is this is sort of a moment where um, the Joker in real life would be <laughs> sort of horrifying if you if you apply yeah. if you really think of any of this uh, in real life and and yet it's so so, so charming and entertaining. Um, I mean I, I find myself quite charmed by uh, by the dapper villain by the uh, um, the villain with panache. Um, and, and presence, um, you know, I, I always, uh, you know, it's that kind of combination, like, um, like in the Hannibal movies or books of uh, somebody listening to classical music while they're eating somebody's liver, you know, that that bizarre juxtaposition of somebody enjoying themselves and having a sense of style while they're doing something terrible. Um, and I, I don't know quite why that why that compels me or, or why that juxtaposition works so well, um, but it seems to, and it, it seems as if the Joker has that. And I don't know that that you know, like Magneto, well, you know, is Magneto dapper? I mean, it's just <laughs> Magneto. People are scared of him. I mean, he's powerful, but you know, he has no sense of presence. There's no sense of you know style. 
My now, God, he's wearing a terrible helmet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think you're right. I don't think there are many other villains that have that, like you say, panache. And I, I, to use Hannibal, especially in the TV show, um, as an example, that idea, the, the, uh, you know, the the level of almost like depravity, the horrific nature of cutting, killing somebody, or cutting off a, a limb to then eat it, is one thing. But then to do it and then to sort of you know tenderize it and you know put your herbs and your salt in it and flambe it <laughs> and all that, take to, to the essence where you've actually <laughs> turned it into a delicacy. But it's the effort. You know, they've taken the not they've not just butchered that person, they've actually almost elevated that person into a fantastic dish. Is yeah. is uh yeah, it's it's I'm not I'm not sure like I say um if anyone could ever exist in real life like that, but to take it to that level is horrifying. Mm-hmm. Well and that gets into like the Joker's the Joker's elaborate schemes. You know, um, you know the the sense that he's both mad and has these elaborate plots. That uh, you know, I mean, that's true in in Dark Knight the film, but it's also true in uh, like uh, Death of the Family. Mm. Um, you know that we enjoy these elaborate plots, um, but they're always balanced by that madness, that that insanity. Well, it's like the end goal, isn't it? They say, does the does the end justify the means? And uh, you know, sometimes you've got to question his like, the end of what the Joker wants, because that's where the madness lies. When you look at the the intricacy of his plans, you can't help but be impressed. But the objective of those plans is where the lunacy lies, because it's <laughs> it never completely makes sense of what he actually wants to achieve. Right. I mean, I, I think there's a kind of like writerly sleight of hand there, right? That, you know, you can do that elaborate plot and, and thrill to that elaborate plot, but it, it doesn't quite make sense. And, and maybe you can just say, oh, well, he's insane, so it doesn't have to make sense. But, you know, then you get into the, the whole mental illness thing. Um, but I, but I, I do like what you're saying about the, the sort of, you know, the zeal, the, the effort, the, the and, and also that sense of that one is putting into these these terrible plans that uh, boy you know nobody nobody as a villain really compares with no I mean just to get back to mad love though because that's that panache is actually like the punchline you know Harley Quinn uh, takes one of the jokers pretty much more basic setups manages to capture Batman is about to lower him in to be killed and then calls in the Joker to say look I've done it and I've done it for you mm-hmm. and then like you say you have that moment where he comes in and he sort of looks at her appreciatively and then just turns and in the cartoon he literally like beats her across the face and he's like what are you doing gets Batman out and apologises to him he's like There's no, this isn't flashy this isn't funny there's nothing good here i'm so sorry she doesn't know what she's doing <laughs> you know move on and next time uh, it'll be more entertaining i promise it is it's that panache well, like he won't do it just for doing it he it has to be you know bombastic or interesting or funny right well that's the that's the roger rabbit thing of mm. uh, it wouldn't have been funny um 
Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, that's so much of what I, what I like about the character um, and, and why he stays with him. So if you were to, if there was to be one version of the Joker, whether it be screen or uh, comic page, which is the one that always does stand out for you? Oh, I don't, I, I don't know. Um, I don't know that there's, there's a single one. Um, I mean, I, I definitely, I definitely come back to Arkham Asylum a lot. Um, I mean, I, you know, I, I do find myself very influenced by Nicholson's and, and Ledger's performance, although I agree with you about, about Ledger. What about you? Uh, I, th- I think Is I'm it a mad love. Or? Yeah, Mad Love came out. Well, say, I'm I'm at an age where uh, the the Paul Dini, uh, Bruce Tim universes were very influential to me. So Mark Hamill's Joker is, I would say, is my Joker. When I read, whenever I read a Joker story, it's the Mark Hamill voice that I hear, um, for good or bad, I don't know. But yeah, it's he's my Joker. I'd have to say the Batman animated series uh, Joker. I have to say, I think that that is becoming, uh, you're winning over time, that um, I see so many people online say, you know, Mark Hamill's Joker is my Joker, and he's, he's you know, portrayed the Joker, including in those, those animated movies, um, you know, for longer than anyone else, and um, I, I think that it is quite a definitive performance. Yeah, I think He's definitely got the longevity because he did the computer game. I haven't really played the computer games, but he's done all the games and the animated films. I think the the reason for me that it, it it's achieved what it has, though, is because the writing in that TV show, as well as his performance, was so good um, that they did get that mix of silliness, madness, and menace. But the, the, the recipe, if you were, is just right in so many of those episodes that that you know that version of the joker could be any one of those things and mm-hmm. you know, and all of them in one go well I, I you know i wanted to return to what you were saying about like what does the joker want mm-hmm. um that you you get at so clearly in that in that mad love example um you know and it seems that that is so different from other villains that it seems you, the Joker doesn't want to win. He, you know, he's like the, uh, you know, seductor who enjoys the chase more than the victory, right? Um, and and that is apropos of Mad Love. I mean, you know, the Joker doesn't want to take over Gotham. You know, yeah. um, you know, he he doesn't want to, um, you know, uh, rule Gotham's criminal underworld in the same way. He likes the fun of sparring with Batman. <laughs> you know, yeah. he, you know, he's in it for the chase, and and maybe someday he'll win. But that victory is less important than, you know, the death trap that's you. You know, or yeah. you know the the plan uh, that finally wins it. Um, it's almost as if winning would be uh, secondary to uh, the elaborate plan that's beautiful in and of itself. No, I agree. I think it's it's. Um... I could almost imagine him sort of saying, "It's not about the winning or the losing; it's how you play the game. It's it is the game that he enjoys rather than the end result." You know, that's like I say, that's a byproduct, and if he gets away with it, fantastic. 
If not, well, he's been a thorn in Batman's side, and it's been a laugh. So <laughs> I'll see you next time. Yeah, I quite like that, and, and it seems to me that 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 is uh, a particular way of responding to superhero stories. That you know, I mean, superhero stories. I mean, if you if you run them forward, right? I mean, eventually. Uh, you know, Batman, you know, you get to, like, uh, Kingdom Come or something where, you know, Batman solved the crime problem, mm. um, you know, with a kind of authoritarian response. Um, you know, you run them forward enough and the story's got to fundamentally change. I mean, Superman's presence or the Fantastic Four's presence is going to change the world. You don't get into that problem with Joker stories because it's about, you know, maybe maybe you do in the sense that you know, that killing joke sense, and, or, or, you know, it's there in, in Dark Knight Returns of, yeah, eventually somebody's going to kill the other person, but, uh, you know, when you're locked into this death struggle. But with the Joker, because it's about the, you know, elaborate scheme in and of itself, it's about the panache, it's about the fun of it. Um, he's almost the, the ultimate uh, superhero villain for a continuing narrative, because... Um, you know, like with, with somebody else, you know, I mean, you think of Magneto, like how many times can you lose, mm. you know, uh, how many times can you threaten to reverse the earth's poles and, you know, conquer Manhattan or whatever and lose before you just say, I, you know, maybe I'm doing something wrong here, you know, yeah. uh, with the Joker, he's not doing something wrong. The, the goal is, uh, you know, the, the elaborate scheme, the goal is the look on Batman's face when he realizes what's been done to Alfred, you know? Yeah. Um, well, it's, and, it's, like, it's, it's like you say, though, with all those other, with all those other villains, you know, Magneto, um, if you would say, like, Magneto, uh, Captain Cold, Poison Ivy, uh, Harley Quinn, there's a, there's a sort of a thing at the moment, a vi former villains becoming heroes, you know, they get... I don't want to say redeemed, but they get accepted almost as an anti-hero or as a, you know, almost hero. There's never going to be a chance of that with the Joker. Mm -hmm. You know, you'd never see Clayface is was up until recently was part of like the Bat family. You know, after everything right. he's done, the Joker's never going to be <laughs> jumping the fence to join the backside. It's it's just not going to happen. You know. And that's part of, like you say, for all this versatility, he's always going to be the baddie because that's where the fun is, I suppose, for him. Yeah, I think that's very true. I mean, you can't imagine the Joker joining the Bat family or, uh, um, you know, it's, it's Batman and Robin and Nightwing and Joker. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah, it, it, it's not going to happen. And, and I think that, uh, you know, I mean, I, I, I like that. I, I like that... Uh, villains get redeemed and, and good and evil aren't um, um, you know just uh, sort of innate in people um, I think that's a kind of uh, redeeming sort of narrative but you know I, I, I feel like with Joker like you know is the Joker really evil mm. is, is he really I mean he, he's a bad guy but he's not doing it to be bad you know um, he's almost removed from the usual, uh, you know, good. He's, in a way, he's oh, he's the one who's most likely to remain a bad guy forever. But 
he's not your usual bad guy. I mean, he's not he's not doing it to, you know, take yeah. over a city or conquer or or anything like that. Um, he's having fun. He's yeah. being himself. Uh, he's a self-actualized person. Yeah, yeah, he's that's it. He is. He's fully accepted who he is and what he wants to do, and he's he's living the dream. Um, because that's one of those things that you know you hear them say. You mentioned about Marvel villains and stuff for the films. They have a bit of a problem in many ways because they never want to take them to their full villainous potential because it could be too far. Um, but yeah, they've always got to be you know as if they could be slightly redeemable because they want you to sympathise with the villain or you know give them a cause that they could just be right. You know that sort of um, you know Magneto is a villain because he's just. He takes a different political stance on the treatment of mutants, or you know, uh, in Civil War, Baron Zemo was actually taking revenge because his entire country had been flattened by a robot created by Tony Stark. You accept those as justifications, but like I say the Joker just does it because he woke up this morning and thought, "I want to do this thing where I'm going to float zeppelins across the city and dump." You know, poison gas on it. It's, it's just whatever's in his head. Well, and that's one thing that I really like about about the Ledger performance. Um, you know, it's it's Ledger hanging upside down, saying we can do this forever. Uh, there's no end game in sight. Uh, you know, it's that idea of, um, well, you know, obviously it's portrayed in a kind of anarchistic way. Of some people just like to see the world burn. There's no agenda here, um, and and that might be something that that gets a little more right than the Nicholson, mm. where, you know, he's having fun, but he's still a gangster. He still wants to sort of take over the town in some way. Yeah, I think that's very true. Actually, yeah, that in that performance, because in the film, I like the fact that there is like almost like a like a, a hard left turn, um, you know with the ledger joker that you know he's brought in to do a purpose where he says well you just kill the bat if you can't do it i'll do it but then he when he sort of meets him he's like no, no, no there's there's so much fun to be had here i'm not going to be killing anybody right now <laughs> yeah quite i mean he he ends that film on a is a very different character than he starts with uh that he starts being um and uh you know, it's a, it's that ending character who's who's enjoying the the, the chase, um, who I most identify with, and who who stays with me as the Joker. Yeah, and I think that's it. It's almost like an origin story for the true Joker, in actual fact. You know, that that the one that would then come out in Gotham City and do all the crazy schemes and that sort of thing. I mean. He acts as the pivot in that film of, you know, the question is about being a hero or a villain, you know, Batman v Two-Face uh, towards the end. And it, the joke is almost removed because he's not a hero or a villain. He is just there to cause chaos. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting that, you know, in, in reading about the Joker before this, I, you know, um, yeah, I was reminded of you know, they did, I guess it was in the 70s, when the Joker was the first villain to ever have his own comic series. 
Um, and, you know, they weren't great comics, um, you know, and it was up against the problem of, um, you know, the comics code and, and, you know, you've got a villain stalking it, so he mostly is fighting other villains um, rather than really, you know, following him and identifying with him. But I think that's kind of telling in terms of the Joker's legacy and how much we like the Joker that, and, and maybe even that the Joker isn't a conventional villain after all. Yeah, I do like that because there, there was a second. There's a, a graphic novel just called I think it's just called The Joker. Uh, I think by Brian Azzarello, which is a very again, it's, it, it literally just follows the Joker for a period of a couple of days. Um, and I don't really think you could do that with any other villain and get away with it as like an original, you know, a, a, say a graphic novel standing on its own. Yeah. And I think maybe maybe those villains who who have an agenda, it, it's also easier to to realize that there must come some point at which, you know, if you're a you know Magneto or a Doctor Doom or something, you know, there must come some point at which you realize what I'm doing is terrible. Um, you know, I I have a good agenda, but I'm kind of committing genocide here. You know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I've crossed some kind of line. I mean, I think that's even true with, like, Ra's al Ghul, with, you know, the environmental terrorism. I mean, um, you know, there has to come some point at which you say, well, you know, the ends don't justify the means anymore. And that's not a problem in Joker stories because he's enjoying it. Um, you know, the goal is to inflict uh, psychological harm and, on Batman and, uh, you know... Um, have this elaborate plan and uh, and do it with panache. So I don't kind of run to the same sort of pullback that I get from some of those other stories of, why are you doing this again? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's always hard to sort of find, like you say, the, the, the justification for the actions that take place. Um, but I th yeah, I think you're right. I think the, the Joker is, is unique in... You know, I, d I don't even think they've tried to imitate him in any real sense. Um, I, I, you know, you, you don't get many other villains that would actually... You could put in that same... Uh, you know, like I say, that Venn diagram, really. The Joker's very much on his own. Yeah, I think so. And, and, and I think that's something that... I mean, I might like seeing now that something like, you know... The, the Marvel movies are as advanced as they are, um, it might be interesting to kind of break up the form and introduce somebody who, you know, kind of uh, grew up in a world with lots of superheroes and the trope of the villains being commonplace and thought, you know, I saw them on TV. That looks fun. Um, that's what I want to do. Um, how can I do that and have fun with this? Um, I, I could see that working, but you know, it's not—it's it, not an aspect of the Joker that's often been duplicated. Mm. It'd be quite hard to write, though. You'd need to—you'd need a good story to back it up to explore that point. That you know, the point is to have fun rather than the point being an objective. I think too many people would read hoping for 
you know, a solid conclusion or a, you know, a, 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 a conclusive payoff. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. Yeah, and, and, you know, we make these superhero stories like, like most fiction into a kind of like zero-sum game, right? Where mm. there's a winner and there's a loser. And, you know, and the Joker seems outside of that. Um, you know, he, it's not a zero-sum game. I mean, Batman can win, and, and it was still amazing. And <laughs> the Joker's quite happy, uh, you know, like you said, to sort of let Batman go in mad love. Yeah, and maybe that's why I want to see him against a different, you know, superhero. Maybe that's why. If you were to do him against Flash or mm-hmm. Green Arrow, and for the end to simply be that it gets to the end and the Joker's like, no, th- this isn't actually as fun as Gotham. Um, <laughs> so yeah, this plan's off, and I'm going home. You know, just yeah, that, I can see that that level of confusion on the the. The hero's face of like, oh, I've come to stop you. And he's like, oh, no, don't worry about that. It's over. This, <laughs> this wasn't working for me. <laughs> yeah, I, I quite like that idea. I, and I, I like that sort of anti-climax. I think there'd be too many complaints about that, though. From the, the comic community would be an uproar if that was the case. Right. Yeah, that, that might be. Um, uh, but, you know, uh, I, I guess the WB can do it, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, they they keep they, well. They're, they're currently throwing out the idea of um, an origin story for the Joker, produced by Martin Scorsese. Uh, I forget who's oh, right. director. With uh, Joaquin Phoenix as the Joker. Yeah, um, and, and it's supposed to be outside of the the DC extended universe. Hmm. But yet, I think with Affleck still. Yeah, it seems really unclear how they're going to do it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. But um, I, again, I don't know how I feel about that. Because it's that thing again, much like we discussed when we talked about uh, the killing joke, of providing the Joker with what they want to consider almost like a definitive origin story. When I don't think that... that first, it's not needed, but I also think it shouldn't happen because... You know, otherwise you're sort of trying to give him an agenda. You try and give him a history which informs it, but you don't need that for the character to work. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree that it's it's unnecessary, and and I think the reason why it's unnecessary is is all the things that we've just said. That you know, the Joker likes the chase. I mean, the Joker, you know, it's about that conflict with Batman. You know, why he's doing it, I mean, is almost inconsequential. Um, where he comes from is, is we don't need and and certainly hollywood's gone too far in terms of thinking you know everything's got to be a year one story mm-hmm. um but i don't know i mean i feel like the joker's versatile enough that if that movie's made i'm likely to say well that is a take on the joker that's you know that might be you know seeing you know the joker you know as taxi driver or something um you know, uh, well, that was a thing, um, you yeah. know, and, and if it doesn't work for me, it, it won't bother me. I mean, I, I think I didn't like especially Lido in uh, Suicide Squad, but, um, you know, and I, and I didn't I don't like personally the sort of because I like the dapper aspect of the Joker. So, mm. you know, for me, the kind of like tattooed out, 
you know, um, teeth as spikes kind of, uh, you know, it, it, it's anesthetic. Uh, you know, I mean, it, it works for what it is, I guess, but it's not what I envision. But it doesn't take away from what I envision. And I, and I think that because the Joker is so versatile, that's okay. It doesn't, it doesn't anger me or upset me. So, you know, if, if that movie gets made and, and I think, well, you know, there are a couple things I like in it, but that's about it. Um, I won't, like, throw out all my Joker comics yeah. or something, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's true craziness. Uh, no, I, I know what you mean. It's interesting, and I like the idea of, you know, the possibility of a a Goodfellas level of film quality going to a Joker story, which is incredible. But, uh, yeah, I think that's a sort of a hot, you know, wait and see, see how that one pans yeah. out. Well, and, and, and they're also operating in the shadow of Heath Ledger. I mean, and Leto, you know, didn't, you know, establish himself. I mean, obviously he's kind of a secondary character in that movie. But, you know, I mean, it, it's, it was, it's funny to me that, you know, Nicholson's performance was seen as so iconic. And then Ledger came along and now everybody's kind of in the shadow of, of Heath Ledger. And of course he died and it was, mm -hmm. you know, that performance was so mythologized that, um, you know, I think there's some kind of tension of, well, what do we do that could possibly, you know, escape the shadow? Well, I think the thing you've talked about before, though, I think it was too soon. I mean, like you say, when you look at the on-screen performances uh, of the Joker, you sort of Cesar Romero's Joker in '66 is spot on for what that show was and for what the '60s were. You know, mm -hmm. it, the fact he would go surfing in his dapper suit and a pair <laughs> of Bermuda shorts is perfect. Yeah, and, and then you have that the yuppie gangster sort of Goodfellas sort of kind of you know Nicholson Joker um, is perfect for the, the late '80s. It's a real it's again spot on for the era and then for um ledger's joker to be that post 9-11 anarchist you know royal against authority kind of figure is spot on for the era it's a representation of the times not a, not enough has changed for us to accept a new joker or yeah. later's joker was possibly too you know it was too it felt too commercial but it didn't seem authentic for what the you know what we need right now yeah i, I agree with that and 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 it didn't seem to i mean what did it have to say mm. um i mean you know we can argue endlessly over those other depictions but they seem to not only represent that era but also have have some kind of commentary on it push that idea further um what does Leto's Joker embody? Um, and I don't mean to, you know, I feel guilty even saying this because I know that he took that role seriously. And, you know, I mean, I, I, I feel bad, you know, I feel bad saying this. But, um, but I doubt he's going to hear it. I wouldn't worry too much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you know, presumably we're all adults and, you know, you can criticize something without 
you know, making a creator cry or something. Um, but yeah, I, you know, it, it, I agree with you. And, and, you know, more time does help that. Um, I can't wait to see what, what the next sort of definitive Joker is. Yeah, I think that's right. I think, you know, and, and a Joaquin Phoenix Joker could be amazing. It could be really interesting. He's a great character actor. So mm -hmm. it's, you know, enough time could pass that we actually, like you say, we can find something that is a comment on our times. What's, yeah, it's, like, you know, it's not the villain you you deserve, it's the villain you need. <laughs> yeah, yeah, quite. And, and, I, and I felt that way with, with Nicholson and, and certainly with Ledger. Um, that, uh, boy, you know, it's astounding how, how much Ledger's performance has been inscribed in the cultural mainstream. Um, certainly a kind of, you know, iconic role. And, you know, it's hard to imagine who's going to come along and, and give the, you know, 2010s or 2020s version of that. Um, but I think you're right that it should be updated. It should, you know, it should be something that seems to represent the era and not just be another take. Mm. Okay. On on all that, I think it's been a fantastic conversation. It shows how fascinating the character is. The Joker can be so versatile and talked about in so many different ways. Um, Absolutely. So again, I'm so glad we had this conversation. Uh, Julian, thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you, Scott. I, I always enjoy it. We're a you know, kindred spirit. Yeah, indeed. And uh, I'm doing some big stuff on Superman in a couple of months, so I'd love to have you on to talk about Superman uh, and, and some bits and pieces there, if possible. Yeah, sure. Cool. Okay. Uh, just to give you a, uh, the Kickstarter, is that still going? Uh, yeah. it's uh, We've got uh, just over a week left on uh, the synthetics number one uh, crazy robot stories uh, robots on Mars uh, having a revolution and there are a few print copies left on the Kickstarter so um, and we always uh, have a whole line of comics over at uh, on Comicsology uh, if you look for Martian Lit excellent, we'll try them out I shall put a link to them on the show notes as well well thank you so much Scott and it's been a joy as always I, I really appreciate it no, thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. Been, it has been a great conversation. And, uh, and we'll catch up again soon. All right. I look forward to it. Excellent. Thank you so much. You too. Thank you, Jude. <laughs> well, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. Our thoughts on the Joker. And if you've got any thoughts or you want to contribute to this... Uh, conversation please get in contact you can find me on twitter at 20th century geek or email me at 20th century geek at gmail.com or find me on facebook on tumblr on instagram all under 20th century geek or in fact get in contact for any reason it's all good i enjoy talking to all of you and of course the biggie the thing that keep, helps us keep the lights on we have got a patreon page please go on find our patreon page donate anything you can become a subscriber it all helps and i'm going to go back old school please subscribe on itunes leave a five star review all these things help if you like 20th century geek show the love okay it's all appreciated now next month next month 
Mike and I are going to step back in the squared circle. We're going to head back in time. You're going to get some bad Hulk Hogan impressions. Some terrible Randy Savage impressions. That's right. We are going to be doing 80s wrestling. So, if, you, if that rocks your wheelhouse, uh, please join us next month. We will be going back into the squared circle. But for now, thank you very much. And I'll see you again soon.